Why do we love science fiction? Well, Stephen L. Sears, producer and writer for Xena, has some thoughts about that. It can be recognized that when you do sci-fi and you do fantasy, you are actually able to address certain issues head on without threatening people. That was a, one of the things about classic Star Trek is they did in the 60s. They did you know, shows on racism. They did shows, uh, they did anti-war shows. They did all sorts of things. But because it was science fiction, the viewer did not feel threatened from their own particular opinions. If they were pro-war or if they were racist, you know, hopefully they were enlightened, but they were not threatened by it because that was in the future. So fantasy allows you that particular avenue. Uh, the thing about Xena is that, first of all, Xena touched into um, a lot of different areas with society at that time. Perfect time for it to come out. The female empowerment, obviously, that was there. Uh, and we didn't force it. That was that was key to it. We wrote Xena as a character, not as a crusader for empowerment, because one of the things that I um, have always, at least people have told me I've always done this well, is that I write characters outside of my own skin very well. And I got a lot of compliments, even back in the Candle days, on how I would write female characters. Now, having said that, first of all, everybody go to my website. Notice that I have a Y chromosome. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am not a woman. And that is the first thing I remind myself of when I write a female character. The first thing I say is you are not a woman. So you are going to write this the best way you can. And then you're going to try to refine it. And then you're going to show it to women so that they can tell you where you left the toilet seat up. Because I'll right. miss that. That's not a part of my world. So I'm always constantly aware of that. But the key to that in all of my characters is that women, using that as an example, had always traditionally been used as a plot device to make the male look more heroic. So in the worst case of it, it's the, you know, the woman whose heel breaks and she falls on the ground and, oh my gosh, I'm about to be killed. And suddenly the guy rushes in and saves her. Um, in the subtle way, which was very popular in the 80s, the woman could act strong but she was ultimately in distress. And that of course, spurred the relationship with the male hero to help her out. So when, when I write my characters, male or female, I follow this dictum, which is it's okay for your character to be victimized, but nobody wants to follow a victim. We want to see the hero in all of us. So when you take that into the, the um, situation with Xena, there was a phrase I always kept in mind about Xena. And it was a simple phrase, no excuses. Xena never had to excuse herself or excuse her femininity by doing anything to balance it out. She was who she was. If you had seen a movie of the week about women's basketball back in the 80s and the 90s, the women would have been wearing you know, tight shorts and they would have been running back and forth with their hips swaying and their arms going back and forth. And that would be you know, the femininity aspect of it taken to the nth degree. Uh, if you have ever been to a WBA game, if you've ever watched women's basketball, if I was on the court, I would curl up in the fetal position and pray for my life. <laughs> yep. um, 
But again, you're writing it as a real character. And with Xena, there was no excuses. You know, even even Wonder Woman, um, Linda Carter's uh, TV series, which I loved, there was an aspect of it which was appropriate for the time. Um, her character was incredibly empowered. And I don't just mean magical powers and superpowers. The way that they wrote it and the way Linda portrayed it, you could tell. She walked into a room and there it was. The charisma was right there. That was a similarity that Lucy Lawless had with her very much. Both of them are like that. They walk into a room and immediately your eyes go to them. Um, but back then, when the episode was over, after Wonder Woman had saved the day, there was always a little, what I always called, kind of like a giggly moment be between her and Steve Trevor. And what I realized is that that was kind of the network's way of excusing her strength by then playing up the little femininity kitten. So that way, men are not threatened by her. By the time we got to Xena, it was like, no, nah, we're not going to follow that rule. So we're going to play her as a character. No excuses. She doesn't have to apologize for her femininity or her strength. We're going to play her as real as we can within these bizarre, incredible situations. And what we found was that we were getting response from so many people. Um, a huge number of women were identifying with the strength there, which I just am in awe of to this day. It humbles me. But men were also responding to this. They were responding to the idea, not that the idea that they're going to be rescued now by women, therefore that threatens my masculinity. It was a recognition of, of here's somebody I want to hang with. You know, I want to spend time with this particular person. Uh, it was the right time, it was the right place and the right group of people to put that forward. Did she help in making women more three-dimensional to men? I think that there, well, I can point to a lot of series that I think helped do that. Cagney and Lacey did that really, yeah. really, really well. Um, both Tyne and Sharon were just, you know, amazing in those roles. I had an opportunity to work with Tyne Daly uh, when we did Swamp Thing. She came over and did an episode just for the fun of it. And she was awesome. She was just great. And I was sitting there saying, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm here with, you know, with Tyne Daly. Um, but they did, you know, they in their real environment, because that was not a fantasy show. Uh, they did that a lot to make men kind of understand. Xena uh, just kind of, we took that in a slightly different direction, but it was not an intentional thing. It just was a, an organic way an organic result of the way we were we were trying to write the character and the way the actresses were portraying it and the directors were doing it. Um, our characters, as you know, any TV series after the first few episodes, it has a life of its own because there's a constant collaboration going back and forth. And if you have a good group, it's a positive collaboration. So we had that with Xena. Um, the actors looked forward to the scripts that we were sending them and we looked forward to seeing what they could do with it. And every time I saw the dailies come back and how incredible they were doing, it was like a challenge to me. I got to up my game. And so I would up my game and then they would up their game. And it was back and forth and back and forth. Well, and also the longer a show plays, the longer a character is on a show, uh, and this happens in books as well, the characters tell you how they evolve. Yeah, well, I've always, that's how I write anyway. I mean, that's, that is true, um, but everybody has a different process of writing. Uh, you'll hear a lot of writers will say this, and actually I don't know if this is true for you or not, but a lot of writers will say this. 
um, at a certain point, I'm just taking dictation. No, that that's very true. My main characters uh, pretty much tell me what they would do and what they wouldn't do. Yeah. At a certain point, I find myself, I know what the scene is supposed to be about. I know what the overall story is. And I'm sitting there with my fingers on the keyboard. And the hardest thing for me to do is to come up with the opening line, whether it's in a novel or whether it's in a script, what's the opening line? And as soon as I put that down there, everything just starts falling into place and I'm hearing the characters in my head, literally the voices in, the, in my head, the characters are living, they are interacting and I'm just recording it. I am basically doing something that 400 years ago would have me burned at the stake. Yep, because you're hearing voices. That's Joan of Arc right there. And I and and by the way, she had a better agent. So <laughs> no, but but that's that's very true because the characters in your mind become real. Maybe that's because every character you write has a little bit of you in them if you create the character. Well, they have to be real just for identifiability. If they're not real to me, they're not going to be real real to right. the and the, But that's the point. They have to be real. If I don't believe them, then the reader is not going to believe them. Exactly. And that, by the way, holds true for your main characters and your minor characters and your ancillary characters. Um, you know, in a script, the guy who's working behind the counter with two lines, you have to write that with a sense of that person's history. Even though there are only two simple lines, um, you're going to drink that here, that'll be $12.95. Still, I approach that character as a full character. Uh, one of my other teaching dictums is that every character is the hero of their own story. And you have to remember that. Um, and that is that is so, so true. I mean, one of the characters that I wrote is a bad character, somebody you wouldn't like, a hitman. Mm -hmm. And yet I spent a lot of time on his background. In fact, I gave him a whole chapter because he wasn't a one-dimensional hitman. He was so much more. Well, villains can't be one-dimensional. That's where you, they become cliched. I, yeah. As you know, um, no villain thinks of themselves as a villain. Which may explain why we love to hate villains. Steve will talk about that a little more on the next episode of Beginnings.